Hello everybody. We want to do a quick little straw poll. We're thinking of maybe doing for a special event, an in-person podcast taping. And we're wondering how many people in the Portland metro area would be interested in attending. This would be a free event and we would just record the podcast in front of a live audience so you guys can see what it's like to, you know, kind of be behind the scenes. So let us know if you'd be interested so that we can get a venue that would be big enough to hold everybody and we will do, put something like that together. So email me at christy at dodgemediaproductions.com. That email will be in the show notes and just shoot me an email and say, I'd be there. Dodges never stop and neither do our listeners. You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 94, where we are kicking off our month uh, celebrating with our Jewish friends the ha Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah begins this year on December 18th and ends on December 26th. And in honor, I would love to share a, a Ladka recipe with you all so you can get in the spirit as this Shixi used to call them, porcupine potatoes. And this Goyam used to call them nothing because I didn't get them. You didn't get them? No, no. Do you enjoy them when we have them? I believe I do. I never had them with like sour cream on them. I could maybe try that though. Yeah, I think one time. No, we would put our sour cream and applesauce in crepes that she would make. Not, as, not a big fan of crepes. Yeah, so we would just have the the potatoes. So anyway, sure. maybe everybody. We, maybe we should eat them for our Hanukkah. I think we should. We are. And join us. Get get out your lagkas, everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's talk about an American pickle. We watched it on Amazon for $3.99. I do believe it's available generally if Amazon has it, Apple has it. And I think we took advantage of the delayed shipping. So we technically didn't pay for this one, but it's $3.99 on Amazon. Director Brandon Trost who DP'd for Dear Evan Hansen, the film. Huh. Bros, the recent uh, LGBTQ movie that we enjoyed. The Righteous Gemstones and The Disaster Artist, which that made sense because as I read through the other DP and they all kind of, you know, work together. So the writer and... Who's the DP on this film, though? DP on this film is John Glossarian, who did About Time Equals Like Crazy and The Happiest Season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we love that one. Another good LGBTQ movie. We can circle back to the cinematography at that stage. Okay. Simon Rich wrote this. Uh, he did Miracle Workers and Inside Out. Right. Simon Rich. That sounds like a Jewish name to me. <laughs> and he was a writer on SNL for, I believe it was like eight years. Okay, so a Jew. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. And it stars Seth Rogen, Sarah Nook, Molly Evanson, who played Clara. And Sarah Snook played Sarah. So that mm. was easy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see. The synopsis for this film is an immigrant worker at a pickle factory is accidentally preserved for a hundred years and wakes up in modern day Brooklyn. That just seems a description. <laughs> well, oh, I see. It doesn't go into kind of what happens throughout the movie. Not much sizzle there. It, it just kicks off the movie. Like basically that's yeah. the first 
20 minutes? Yeah. The opening was longer than I remembered from our first viewing. But I I expected something a little bit jazzier, like a movie about pickles, including Seth Rogen, or something (laughs) like that. I mean, that's just a description. Wow. Well, there I, are longer synopsis on IMDb, but I try not to. Oh, that's not the tagline? No, no, no. That's a oh. synopsis. Okay. Well, then it's a synopsis. Okay. And I have really bad news for you and Udo. Oh, dear. There's no tagline. Okay. See, I stand by my... There should be... <laughs> this is a movie about pickles, including Seth Rogen. They've got... I mean, you could come up with something better. Right. Simon Rich, I guarantee you, has a half dozen better taglines. Right? <laughs> Simon, go ahead and, and email us with the better tag. There you go. And I loved, there's a featurette that I'm going to include in the show notes. And it talked about the film's movie poster was taken with a preserved camera that was made in the 19th century. And it's the kind where you have to stand there really, really still for like five minutes. Because the exposure is... Right. So I read that trivia too. And <laughs> if that's exactly accurate, that's totally cool. However... The thing that I have is, as you may know, I inherited a camera from like the 60s from my dad. Yeah. And even then, it was hard to find film or to figure out how it worked. So did they get somebody from like the the Smithsonian that knows all this antique cameras to help them operate it correctly? All I can tell you is if they're lying about this fact, they went to the trouble of setting up a video shoot where you can see them with the camera and Seth and Sarah are in the position that they're in in the movie because mm-hmm. there was other the movie poster just has Seth and you can mm-hmm. see that they have like the gray backdrop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now they were doing it outside, which I found interesting, which you always would back then. Oh, okay. So maybe they were just trying to replicate. Yeah. So if this is a giant lie and it's all Photoshop, they went to great pains to sell the lie. Right. And here's the problem. So I believe them. In the movies, we lie. Oh, I know. But I'm saying this little trivia for IMDb. I would love that it's true. Like I said, I just want to know. Your skepticism is deep. Very much. But... (laughs) Who knew how to operate it? Because it's not like any other camera you can purchase right now. How hard is it? It's a shutter. Boom. Wow. I'm sorry to every <laughs> photographer and cinematographer in the world for that statement. It's just a I'm shutter. Tr- I'm Boom. Tr- <laughs> uh-huh. No, I'm seeing a camera from those days didn't have like expanded menus that you needed to know. Worse than that. They didn't have F-stops. They but- didn't have like... Okay, all right. So, when was the last time you used a bellows camera? <laughs> all right then. The, they didn't have menus, but they had a lot more going on mechanically and chemically. There weren't sensors or there were not pixels or so the chemistry alone of developing the plate. How did they know what that? Oh, was? they did that. They show that on the thing. They did it immediately, like. The guy had the cover, you know, like the cloth that goes over Uh and he took it out and he put it right down. You need to watch the featurette before you get all high and mighty. I'm not high and and mighty. And he put it in the little Rubbermaid and had the solution and you watch it develop and then they hold it up and they're like, that's amazing. You, um, you think I'm being high and mighty. I'm not. I'm just asking, how did they figure out how to do it? I know you could eventually, but... 
this is a production. They don't have time to experiment. Do they have all right, the different holographic you know, plates to experiment? But you know filmmakers, they love to do things in the vein. They love to add the richness. See, you feel like I'm saying they didn't do it. All I'm saying is I want to know what guy did they find <laughs> you that want knew the how it did it. documentary behind just that one. Okay, okay. On Jay Leno's show, they yeah. have Donald Osborne, the guy who's an expert at car values. <laughs> There's got to be an equivalent guy that right. was the world's expert in using Evanotypes right. or whatever I'm, it was. I'm going to put you in charge of finding that guy. Oh, dear. <laughs> I just asked a question. and didn't want to go on a hunt. <laughs> well, then don't question me. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, it's interesting we're talking about a Jewish film, and the Jews do have a history of hunting people down. So maybe I could get some guys. I don't think they hunt people down. Oh, no, the Nazi hunters. Great for movies. Oh, okay. Maybe we could get a guy who's like a photo hunter. He could help me out. There you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. My last bit of trivia is this is Seth Rogen's first produced film that is not an R-rated movie. <laughs> <laughs> but you kick us off, smarty pants. What is the pickup line for this film? In old country of Schlutzk, I am ditch digger. <laughs> that was such a funny <laughs> Yeah. So I... I like it for a lot of reasons. First of all, it establishes in the film that we're going for a comedy, yeah. right? In case yeah. you were confused and right. you sat down in the theater and you're like, oh. Comedy the comes is, in threes. It, oh, boy, does it. But it shows how poor he is because he has wooden <laughs> shovels, which I guarantee you there was a point in history when yeah. there were wooden shovels. Yeah. But obviously, as he, he demonstrates, they're not the best choice of material for ditch digging. Yeah. As we've come out of the last couple of days here in the Pacific Northwest of just cold wind, rain. Oh, yeah. The first opening scene, you feel his misery because he's out <laughs> in just the, you know, beating rain and it's got to be cold. And it reminded me of McCabe and Mrs. Miller. It's a wet Western because the whole time, practically the movie, if it's not raining, it's snowing. And so it's just that same, like, just cold, oppressive, you know, just soaked to the bone day after day. And that's that's what this gave me. And I think uh, our listeners, including a couple of our super fans who are in the armed forces, know very well mud. Right. That was to me the the that is kind of the difference, certainly at that time of rich and poor is your relationship to mud. Yeah. And he was right on in the mud. He was in it. Yeah. And so it sets up like what kind of like, like we feel for this poor chap. Oh yeah. He's a sympathetic character right from the beginning. You yeah. see his shovel snap, spoiler alert. Yeah. And, and he's in the mud and he just has to get on in it with his hands. I mean, that is, <laughs> yeah, it's just perfect. It, Simpson. A little Simpson-esque, too, because then, like, the third yeah. and fourth and fifth thing that kind of happened. Right. And then, of course, they roll out the wagon wheel falling off yeah. humor. Not very common in today's cinema, but yeah. good, good bit. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because there's another bit of comedy that we don't see a lot nowadays, which is seltzer humor. But seltzer plays a large role yes, in the plot in this film. without any seltzer humor. Oh, my goodness, you're right. Yeah, it was right there. They have, apparently, I checked this, uh, I did a Google, and that is a SodaStream model. I didn't recognize, it didn't look like a SodaStream I've ever seen, but that supposedly was a SodaStream model, and having 
operated one myself, I know there is an opportunity to spray yourself with seltzer water. <laughs> so, I, you know, Seth, that's kind of an opportunity missed there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so trigger warning for any of those listeners who do not like vermin, because the next scene <laughs> after kind of... Okay. The... I want to say from the category of the people who found a 200-year-old camera, yeah. did they use real rodents? Oh, that's a good question. Because remember when we did the Irish film? No. What film did we do in there were, was it Beavers? Oh, it was the... Yeah. Yeah. It was the curling film and there were um, artificial beavers. But there were like five beavers in reality, but then they expanded. So was something similar Exactly. Was it a little bit of both? I don't know. But there were a lot of rodents. There were a lot. So if you do not appreciate them... Oh, and I hope for the rodents' sake that that, that it was um, visual effects for the ones who gave their lives. That, that, <laughs> that stunt work above and beyond. Right. So it sets up how he's in the pickle factory. And I, the first time I saw it, I thought it was a little implausible that nobody would see him fall into the pickle vat. Yeah, I still think it's a little... But by the premise, if we're going to buy the premise that yeah. a guy gets brined <laughs> and preserved in a pickle right. vat for a hundred years, then you got to buy that nobody saw him fall in. Yeah. And that no one would try to re- recoup what little bit they could from the factory by selling those pickles <laughs> and draining and, and, and selling the building. Yeah. There's a lot of premise there. But, you know, and I had some questions about the physiology of that for a moment and I'm like by the premise like look this is a silly film once you're in you're in and then it works yeah yeah so you said uh, you wanted to talk about the cinematography so lay it on me well one thing that I noticed is the entire film start to finish gorgeous soft lighting and I don't believe that New York City has a month straight of just cloudy but not rainy weather because even the outdoor scenes had gorgeous soft lighting. I loved the look that the cinematographer got for this. You could say indoors, they had a lot of lighting they brought in, but even out of doors. So I thought that was very interesting. So presumably in the streets of Williamsburg for a few weeks, there were giant scrims everywhere. So they could shoot like that. But it was gorgeously lit. I mean, I thought it's a great touch because for a comedy, you think of very broad and not really artistic, not saying that there aren't well-done comedies, but I think for the most part, you don't focus on the images as much. But I thought this was gorgeous. Yeah. This was shot very well. I thought so, too. The writing, this comes from a story Simon told. He was just thinking about his ancestors, and he thought, my ancestors will probably hate me and want to punch me <laughs> because I sit in an office, in a climate-controlled office, you know, coffee at hand or whatever beverage, snacks, right? pounding on a computer. And he was just like, if I could meet my great grandfather, uh-huh. he would just think I was the biggest, you know, like wussy. And right. so he wrote this. It's called A Sellout was the short yeah. or the novel. Is it a novelletta? What do they call it? If it's a short novel. There's a novella. That's what it is. Yeah. And so that's what he wrote. And so it's based on that. He wrote it in 2013. I, I, I have to say, I think every generation thinks the next generation are a bunch of softies <laughs> that couldn't hack it. Yeah. Because I do worry about the next generation that they just couldn't hack it. And I think 
I, I couldn't have done World War Two. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Like they take my butter and give me that margarine with the little red food. I think I I would be out. <laughs> okay, Hitler wins. Like uh, I need my butter. But uh, yeah, I I think you're right. <laughs> it it is an interesting dichotomy because technology changes so quickly, and, and I think that's great for the plot here because Seth Rogen's modern character uh, Ben Ben, ben. Right? yeah Ben he has about the least useful job imaginable. He, he writes a web app, a mobile app that no one knows about. I mean, he doesn't do anything. Well, he's been developing it for five years. Right. So, And as we find out later on the money from the death of his parents, the life insurance policy. So first time through, I just thought, okay, we have to buy the bit that he could have this insanely large apartment in New York. In New York, yeah. But then after it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe he bought it with the, the, the money from that. And, yeah. And, uh, and he's just kind of eking along. But that that's like the least productive job yeah. ever. And it's the least like anything that humans did for the rest of human history. What was the app? Do you remember? Boop Bop. It, it gave you some automated, uh, air quotes, ethics oh, it was a, rating. Yeah, it was an ethics each, score. Which yeah. was good writing because... His problem is ethics throughout the film because yeah. basically he does evil things to Herschel. He is not the kind of person that his app is trying to find. Right, and which it, bites and him it, in the yeah, butt. Yeah, it torpedoes his own his yeah. own app. So uh, I thought that was that was you know clever writing on Simon's part. Good work there. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Like I'm not hipster enough to know how how accurate that character of Ben was. But I did notice, for example, his pants were really short. And I thought that was an interesting choice from the costume department because, at least when I was growing up, my pants were short because we were poor. Right. And you couldn't afford new pants. Well, that could be the case, especially guys stereotypically tend to be less into fashion. Yes. I think that's safe to that's say. That's safe to say, yeah. And so he probably is wearing pants that he wore like from high school. Could be, but I thought it's interesting because Herschel asked him about how many socks do you have, right? Yeah. So to me, I, I, I actually expected there to be some dialogue where Herschel's like, you can't afford long pants. Because yeah. definitely that was a thing as a poor kid that, you know, if somebody could see your ankles, that was a sign of, of that you weren't That's wealthy. That's so fascinating that you saw that because as a tall kid my whole life, yeah. it just meant that if I bought like the size that fit my waist, they were... Like tall was at least it wasn't a thing at the stores we shopped. Like there was always petite, right? But to buy a regular pair of pants, then they didn't come in at tall. So my, all of my pants were short. Although we might be highlighting how out of fashion we are. Yes, because I do think that the hipsters, like I have seen guys in what looks like capris. Right. So we're dating ourselves right now. We should stop talking and talk about something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with that. Don't worry. In, in, in five years, it'll be different. Right. So, but I liked how it set up Herschel's backstory and the introduction to his great grandson. Yes. I thought that was really well done. And I want to take a moment to give credit to both the camera department as well as the visual effects people because. It, it was seamless. There was no point where I, re, you know, realized, oh, this is digitally manipulated. I just bought that Seth could be in the scene with himself. Yeah, I think I have 
it to talk about during editing, but the featurette, which is why I want to include it in the show notes, talks about how Seth believes so strongly against fake facial hair. Right. He says, you can tell. Yeah. And I hate it. I hate wearing it all day as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. So as an, a producer, he was able to throw some weight around and say, I'm not wearing facial hair. We are going to film the entire thing. And you could tell I watched one interview right. with the director and he was kind of like, you know, when Seth Rogen yeah. says he's not going to do a thing, you can't really argue. But it was a challenge to do it the way we did it. So they shot the whole thing with Seth in the facial hair. Right. Oh, and he had a stand-in. And bless his heart, Seth gave a shout-out to this guy because he stood in for Ben when Seth was Herschel. Right. And could not talk. Had to silent Bob the entire film. Oh, wow. Because they both wore earpieces that fed in the dialogue. Okay. So that, and so the guy just had to react facially or kind of move his yeah, body yeah, yeah. so that Seth had something to act against. And then... But why couldn't he talk, though? Be, well, because they don't need his dialogue. Oh, okay. And so when Seth was Herschel, he could hear in his ear what he will say as Ben. Right. And then they flipped it. So then when he was Ben, he could hear what he said when he was Herschel. Did Seth record that, that dialogue I for assume. himself? I okay, assume. Fair enough. And so the guy, and it shows him, he's just standing there kind of looking at something yeah, totally. Awesome. I was like, he silent bobbed it. Yeah. And so they shot the whole thing. Then Seth cut his beard. And I think, I don't know if there was like a scheduling thing. I don't know why, but then they waited like three or four months. Imagine this for continuity. Had to go back and recreate the lighting, mm-hmm. all of the setups, all right. of the positions. Right. And record Seth now as Ben. And just the idea of happening to reset up the lighting and the exact three or four months later. I mean, we can't even when we've been on set and we'll go like, was this cup here or was it here? Because we're trying to maintain continuity if we move things. Right. I can't even imagine. I saw a movie last night where they shot from two different angles and I saw a big I mean, it got left out. In one one shot, she had her coffee, her Starbucks, low, and the next one she was drinking from it, and it bumped me immediately. Yeah. So just imagine, yeah, I saw um, the lighting though. A DP one time wrote article that I read about. They had to go back and reshoot for a commercial, just reshoot one one shot, and he talked about how much work they put into measuring from all of the corners of the buildings and the things to get it triangulated, to get the camera in exactly the same position with exactly the same angle. Yeah. Because he said, while you can digitally do it, it's really hard. It costs a lot of money and everyone yells at you. Yeah. So they spent all this time with that, like, you know, the, the like measuring thing that civil engineers have. Like yeah. The, oh, the, the laser? The, well, no, it was like the old fashioned kind oh. with the rope because this was, you know, a while ago and just measuring out everything. So you had to think that, that Seth's like, okay, everybody's going to go home for three months. Yeah. I'm going to shave or whatever. And then we're going to come back and do it all and make it exactly the same. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh my gosh! But but that's what the reason I brought this up is because it's so seamless. Yeah, and I know this is many years ago, but like in Dave, right, the Kevin Klein movie. Yeah, it's really obvious when 
he's in the same scene or yes, Parent Trap yes. or those, right? It used to be so obvious that they would use this kind of mirrored thing yeah. and then or if they green screened. And now this is just so much so. So well done. I, I forgot I didn't even think that about it was it. Seth and Seth. Yeah, Absolutely. We're filmmakers and I didn't even think about it as we're watching yeah, the movie. That's how seamless it was. So it was so well done. Huge props to the entire cast and crew for pulling that off. It was incredible. Absolutely. And what's amazing is it's for a silly movie about pickles. <laughs> We're not making some Oscar epic. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Ron Howard. Didn't you need this in Apollo 13 or something? Well, and it's amazing because not to to dwell on this too much, but I thought it was just so sweet because Seth goes, and I wish I knew this guy's name. I'll put it in the show notes. This stand-in, basically, he said, if he does his job right, he's invisible. So, you know, like he gets to tell all his friends, hey, I'm in the next Seth Rogen movie. <laughs> yeah, that's my shoulder there. Oh, that's my other shoulder there. Yeah. There's the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't you tell? Look at how I, I do that with but my head. But bless his heart. And he just looks like the nicest guy. I mean, yeah, he didn't talk. <laughs> well, ho- hopefully he wasn't so method that he didn't talk while off- <laughs> offset. <laughs> Anyway, well done, filmmakers. Well done. Um, let's see. Uh, for the writing, I enjoyed when Herschel started attacking the billboard workers. I was impressed oh, that yeah. Herschel had some skills. Yeah, and uh, what uh, I was too, and I thought, oh, well, actually, that probably makes sense. If you're like a late 19th century Jew in Central Europe, you, I bet you got in a few scraps just yeah. on a daily basis, right? You, yeah, you know how to scrap. Um. That's a good question, because I thought back in the day, or around the time that Herschel's character would have come to New York, I thought we did have some Jewish boxers. So I think yeah. they, back then they had, they had some pugilistic skills. <laughs> and he put them to work. <laughs> You're right about Ben hurting Herschel, because it hurt my heart when he said, Sarah would be ashamed of you. Oh, yeah. Oh, ben. Ben was a total weenie. He, he he that was the his the, arc was yeah, to he had to get better but he went he went worse first yeah oof <laughs> <laughs> i should have said oi and then um i couldn't stop being squeamish over the recycled jars and rainwater oh. and dumpster diving for the cucumbers that Ben right. used for his special pickles. But don't you think that is perfect for the people who now live in Williamsburg? <laughs> that that the, the recycled food waste yeah. and the rainwater and the recycled jar. And there's some dialogue there where the yeah. two guys are like, oh, of course you recycle your jars. Yeah. So that's perfect. But yeah, it's kind of, it, it didn't turn me off pickles, but I probably didn't go get one right after. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about the editing, but for writing and editing, did did you have anything that, that I missed? <laughs> well, I thought, you know, obviously I made the joke that Simon sounds like he's a Jewish guy, and I believe he is, of course, Seth. But I thought this was a good Jewish film in that they, it's not stereotypical, but they just kind of, that was a plot line, right? That Herschel was defined by his Judaism, Mm -hmm. that the Cossacks came to his wedding and killed Mm -hmm. everyone, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, that's what makes me a little hesitant to put the Ukraine sticker on Makar, because in the Ukraine, they they too, just like the Russians, have a strong history of anti-Semitism. But so to, to Herschel, this was 
kind of all he was. It was his culture, his identity. He was persecuted for it. And then just a few generations later, you've got this guy and he barely remembers his bar mitzvah. Right. So that contrast of a thing that was so important, but then we see, and I thought they had some good humor about that, but I, I loved Herschel's pride. And there's this great line, you put you on this, you will fix this. And he was he he was so so proud so proud immigrants get the job done right yeah and then then kind of Ben was like eh you yeah know, like it was just a thing you did he didn't really have any thought about it kind of taking his heritage almost for granted right or it, just not not valuing it yeah and I think it serves a different role in probably modern society even for Jews who are much more identifying with it. And that was an interesting thing, you know, just to kind of, again, see that difference. And so it was cute at the end of the film when Ben was inadvertently against his will undercover as Herschel and the guys back in Schlitz include him. And so to show kind of that there is that connection. Uh And even though I myself do not worship at a tabernacle, I felt good for Ben that he was included as he had a tribe finally. Yes. Yes. So I thought that was part of his arc. I think it's it's so... I don't I don't know if ironic is the word. Another word is sad to me that I remember being a kid and not appreciating your relatives and you go to different family reunions and you see all these older people that you only see once a year and you're just like, yeah, 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 that's aunt whoever. But and then you have kids and you hit about, I don't know, like mid 30s to 40s maybe. And you start to all of a sudden go, oh, my gosh. I mean, that's. I'd love to know the demographics of ancestry. Like, what are the ages that people oh, totally. are drawn to ancestry? And it's yeah. probably in your late 30s, early 40s. I when think you you'd be right. S- when you yeah. start to be curious about who came before you. And it's too bad we don't come to it earlier, because by the time you come to it, people are dying. Right. And the people who hold the stories and the people who you would love to kind of give some reverence to are gone. So it's interesting, because I think... Part of that journey maybe is unavoidable, but it goes from when you're younger, you intellectually know that the old people were once your age, but it doesn't really connect. And, and I yes. think that's a part of getting older and having the children where you begin to realize, oh, like at one point in time, grandma was this age and she yes. was dealing with this. And I would argue perhaps the cultures that have the older generations living, living with the with family them. might have an advantage here because would that help the the, the young kids to realize that I'm just thinking of on, on, on I think it's uh, called family karma, but like the old guy who just wants to drink vodka. That's like in a 20-year-old, <laughs> you would expect that. But when it's like the 70-year-old, it's hilarious. Yeah. He was probably like that when he was 20. Yeah, vodka. <laughs> vodka. That's the only thing that character says. Um, and, and then, which is great because it ties into this because Herschel hates vodka because it comes from, it from stupid Cossacks, right? <laughs> so see how I did that? Wrap that right back around. I, I like it. I like it. He wants a good uh, Manischewitz. Yeah, that's true. The Jews have good wines, but not as much distilled spirits because they, uh, they're not so much into the drunkenness. Right, right. So, yeah, it's it's good. I I like this intergenerational play, and I'm really glad that Simon Rich wrote this 
wrote the novella and and then this film. Yeah, and that everyone involved, but especially Seth, put the time into actually doing this. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I couldn't help but think that if they couldn't get that computer stuff working, they could have had... Seth play Herschel, but then have Jonah Hill play Ben. I think that would have worked. Well, and they did. Actually, it's funny. Seth said, because he didn't want to wear the fake beard, he was kind of like, couldn't somebody else play Herschel? He was always going to play Ben. Oh, okay. And then he huh. was like, couldn't somebody else play Herschel? Right. And they were like, no, it needs to be you. Well, actually, I don't know if Jonah Hill could play him now because he's got so many dang tattoos. <laughs> That's very not Jewish. By the way, everybody, watch... It's not putts, but I wanted Stutz. to say that. Stutz. Everybody, watch Stutz on Netflix. It's fantastic with it's Jonah Hill. A little side note there. Right. When it comes also to the writing, I have to say this maybe is marginally in the... Couldn't be made today, even though this was made very recently. Yeah, yeah two years. There's a line in here where Herschel says, You are stupider than Polish person. They are the stupidest. Now, I'm curious if... People from Schlutz yeah. actually had that view? Or is that just from our generation? I was we just made fun say, of the Polish kids. Yeah. I mean, you don't hear them today, but I feel oh, like- Oh, yeah, growing up. Growing up, every time- <laughs> Sorry, family, but most of them are deceased. Every time my family got together, somebody had a Polak joke. Right. And it was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And right. you found out that it happened. Those, those jokes are common in areas where- there's a rivalry. So, for example, yeah. like you said, is it Arkansas and Missouri? Well, kind pretty of... much every state that borders Arkansas uses Arkansas years as the idiots. Right. And so there's there's a version of that in, in many regions and many countries mm-hmm. that one community, let's say, is perceived as the idiot. And so right. uh, basically a Polak joke works there. I don't know why the Poles angered so many people in like the 80s <laughs> <laughs> yeah that part i hadn't figured out but i did talk to a friend who grew up in minnesota and he said there are these sven and Oli jokes who are these two swedish idiots uh-huh. and that was an immigration thing so it could be maybe a, but we didn't have a polish immigration to right? the that, west why did coast they, you know who else got kind of thrown under the bus then richard gear <laughs> yeah. but blondes Blondes. I feel like dumb blonde jokes were, oh, they were the rage popular. in yeah. the eighties. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, we just like to make fun of. Oh, the eighties was full of making fun of other people. Right, but I'm saying of like ignorance. Yeah, that's, which I have to say, I, 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 I think <laughs> ignorance maybe is still suitable to make fun of. I, I, it's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, back to the film. Back to the film. (laughs) Um, But I did miss one thing on cinematography that I did want to talk about with filmmakers. I thought it was very interesting. So this is the second viewing. I had watched it before, and so I watched it a second time. It starts up, and I'm thinking, gosh, I don't remember that they shot this in 4 by 3 That's going to be odd to watch the whole film that way. But they didn't. That was when it was back in the old country. And then when they went to modern times, it went back up to 16 by 9 I didn't even catch that. Yeah, it was really is uh, is subtle. It's a good. Subtle... I don't think they're the first people who've done it, but it is neat. I liked. Uh, I mean, I noticed it this time. I didn't notice it the first time. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank well you done. for pointing that out. Oh, you're welcome. All right, let's see. We talked about sets. They for under my sound notes, I just have that they won for outstanding sound at the Hollywood Post Alliance. So woohoo! Shout out to their sound team because they did a good job. Yeah, they did. 
again, kind of like with Seth Standin, they were unnoticed, so they did a right. fantastic yes. job. Yes, yes. Oftentimes in cinema and all the jobs that go with making films, if you do your job right, nobody sees that you did it, which is kind of almost like a a little bit of a double-edged sword. It's like pride at one level, but then oh, <laughs> yeah. nobody knows nobody how hard knows. we worked. And that's yeah. what they said about kind of mirroring this. Like it was so seamless that nobody stopped to think like, wow, this was probably, I mean, they're so proud because they know, I mean, they put four months plus into this. So his apartment in New York could have been, and my been guess a is a set somewhere like in LA. In a warehouse. So that's easy to get it. Yeah. I mean, you could even Keep leave it, it there. Yeah. But you could put it back together and light it. But then when they're running in like upstate New York trying to get to Canada, yeah, that's out of doors. Yeah. And I know from reading the trivia that it was shot months apart. Yeah. And that's amazing. So again, how much effort. I can't even imagine how many people worked very, very hard. And like you said, and no one even... No one suspects. has no idea. Yeah. But that to me is this amazing thing because it was so well done yeah. that we forgot that it was the same flippant actor in the scene talking to himself. Yeah. That's incredible. So high five to all the high cast and crew five. from these filmmakers. We appreciate you. Yeah. All right. Did we have any head trauma in this film? Oh, we had a lot of head trauma. <laughs> okay. So first question is, do rat heads count for head trauma? Because there's quite well, a few... Um, they do to PETA. And their mothers. Um, so I, I didn't keep a count, but there's a lot of punching in the head in the fight with the construction <laughs> yes, workers. a lot. Herschel gets hit in the head with the fruit while he's running from the mob after the debate. He's uh, right. He, he says some controversial things and they're chasing him down the street. And then from screen left, a fruit comes in and beans him right in the melon. Ah, melon. Ben trips and falls on his face when they're trying to get to Canada. I think that counts, right? Face is part of the head. Yeah. And then Herschel punches Ben in the face after Ben admits what he's done, which I actually don't condone the use of violence to solve problems, but I think that was pretty it's understandable. Warranted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with that one. Should have been nicer, Ben. Um, how about a smoochie? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. We get one. We, we Ben doesn't have a love interest. Herschel does not actually kiss Saha <gasps> at his wedding. And maybe that was accurate for weddings of that time. And the Cossacks arrived. So maybe that impeded. They were going to kiss later, but there's I some... love that scene that, <laughs> I mean, not love is not the right word, but right. it was it was amusing that they're standing amongst all the rubble that the Cossacks, <laughs> and I was like, why didn't the Cossacks kill them? <laughs> right. They have plot armor. I'm glad they didn't, right. but <laughs> it's, a, it's a good visual. Those two need to be an act too. You can't touch them. <laughs> Okay, um, so no smoochies that you Not made that note I of because Ben doesn't have a love interest, right? What? No. Who was? I said two female names. Clara. Who was Molly Evanson? Clara. Clara. Oh no, she's the uh, she's the intern. She's the one I loved. That was his intern when he was making pickles in the park. Oh, so yeah, no love interest for Ben. Yeah, no love interest for Ben. So, oh, how about a driving review? There wasn't much driving. So they went to the trouble of having 
a generic yellow taxi company that's like yellow taxi and checker cab but legally distinct from uh-huh. yet they put a zip car in there later in the film with the logo right on the side so maybe zip paid them a little money um and my last automotive note was when he went to schlutzk in the modern era i noticed that the blue honda accord that was the first car i drove was in the background to represent crappy poverty ridden area <laughs> like there's my first oh, car yeah <laughs> so getting back to short pants meaning you're broke uh i think that was it are you having a whole new feeling about your childhood or did you already know all that well i knew that about my childhood but i actually have to say i wouldn't mind getting a hold of one of those to just you know take a spin see what it was like you know relative I, you know, remember, could I get the tires to smoke again, right? <laughs> get you one for your rally race. There you go. Oh, boy, 81 Honda Accord hatchback would be a hoot for rallying. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Let's see. Should we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay, this film came out in 2020. It cost $20 million. That's cheap for all that. What I assume all is all the effort that went in visual effects and otherwise. Exactly. And it, I, I don't have stats on whether they made it back because this was supposed to go into theaters. And then obviously because of the pandemic and the lockdown, it was released through HBO Max. So I don't know. They got a payment from HBO, but we don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. And then worldwide, they only made half a million well, from they, a they, release. So Yeah, they probably just did that to be eligible. To for, get it out there. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I wonder what it would have done in theaters because... I'm not too optimistic because A Thousand Ways to Die in the West, or A Million Ways, sorry, uh, <laughs> Seth MacFarlane, so Seths are funny, it didn't do fantastically well. I think it's a little cerebral for the average theater-going crowd. Yes. For a comedy, that is. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and the scores kind of speak to that. So it got a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Very low. I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Especially on the second watch. I enjoyed it as much, if not more. And Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it a 72%. And the audiences did not respond and didn't really care for it at 44%. So I believe that's rotten. And I disagree. I I disagree. I would also agree with your statement. I liked it more the second time around. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And it's just an hour and a half. It's like the perfect length. It didn't feel too long. It didn't drag in spots. No. So good job, editor. And I, I actually think this maybe speaks to why it didn't find an audience, but it's not strictly funny. It's not like a twenty-one, twenty-two Jump Street, which are just silly humor, laugh, 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 laugh. There is, you it's, know, an, an arc there that I really did care. And I, the second time around, even though I knew what happened, I still got angry at Ben in the middle of the movie. How dare you do that to Herschel? You yeah, know? yeah, we're totally rooting for Herschel. Yeah, the whole so way. it's, uh, it's not. Yeah, it's not just your standard broad comedy. So, people maybe didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, and I mean. I love certain Adam Sandler films, but where people like, oh, another comedian playing themselves twice in two different roles. Like, <laughs> right. you know, I don't uh, want to. Jack but, and Jill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, meet the clumps. Exactly. So, but go, you know, check this one out, especially if it you see it pop back up on a streaming service that you already pay a subscription for. Like, 
or if you use like i said those delayed delivery days and then you know use your credit for to give it a spin uh it's pg-13 so you can watch it with the whole family i think i think tweens would love this i don't i think kids would get bored like grade school kids i mean fifth six four Mm -hmm. fifth sixth grade probably would be okay but there's nothing there's i can't think of anything objectionable that's why it's his first non-r-rated yeah exactly it's it's not your average maybe that's a case you know People with kids thought, oh, we can't watch a Seth Rogen film. Yeah, maybe. Although, maybe. I'm a, I mean, I think people should maybe be a little less uptight. You know, he's got silly humor sometimes. But yeah. But world's not going to end if your kid sees Seth smoking a joint. Right. Let's see. It is listed as a comedy fantasy, and it is put out by Point Grey Pictures, which is Seth and Evan Goldberg's company, and then in partnership with Sony and Warner Brothers pictures so i think we have made a good case for an american pickle and enjoy it this month as we celebrate hanukkah and all of our jewish friends enjoy this month many blessings happy hanukkah and we're thinking of you and and we're here right right there with you yeah (laughs) oi and never forget dodges never stop and neither do the movies Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 